We're in Galatians 5, which is pivotal because Paul moves into the practical application of his theology. As we've said before, Paul being a Christian is, and not a moralist, right? He will continue to lay out plenty of theology. So don't get bored with, don't get bored with theology. It is the foundation of our practice. No theology, no practice. We are then just mere moralists. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1. Verse number 1 was the wrap-up of the allegory from last week, the end of chapter 4. But I want to digress and cover it again. It says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We've discussed at length not going back to a yoke of slavery. The only yoke I want to be a part of or have any interest in is the yoke of Christ. Amen. You recall Christ saying in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle, lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I have above us here a title for today which I haven't been doing, but I'm asked each week by Steve, what's the title? So I finally got around to it on week number 11, having a title. Um, So my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is freedom? Well, we're in the yoke of Christ here. So the question is, if Christ has set us free, what is freedom? But what has he set us free from? Well, the context we know that we've read or gone, we've covered through these weeks is the context leads us to understand that we've been set free from the law of Moses. Now, when we talk about this or whenever this is brought up amongst believers and in theological circles, the understanding often leads to a charge of antinomianism. We brought this word up a couple of times. And uh, sometimes there's confusion. Do you remember what uh, this word means? Against the law. Against law. I was hoping you wouldn't think of it that quick so that I could figure out how to remember how to spell it. <laughs> Antinomia, uh, antinomianism. Antinomianism. It's in here somewhere. Antinomianism, just like it sounds. Isn't that funny when words do that? Antinomianism. And as Leaf said, it means against, against law. All right, so you get that charge quite often that you're an antinomian um, against law. As we read Paul's letters, we see that he was often charged with the same offense, okay? And if you read the book of Romans, you'll see that regularly he's trying to answer the charge. Now, he will answer the charge here in chapter 5. What is interesting, when he answers the charge, he doesn't come back with an answer that is often used 
in uh, Christian circles today. He doesn't come back with, well, there's a tripart, uh, tripart law. He doesn't come back with, there's three parts to the law, civil, moral, and ceremonial. He doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't come back and say, well, at least keep the Ten Commandments. He doesn't come with, back with that. What he does do is try to, well, he effectively does, he comes back at those who have a misrepresentation of liberty. He comes back by explaining, let's get some color up here, right? It's 2022, we believe in diversity. Let's get some color up in her. All right. He comes back and he takes an attack or takes a line of, uh, uh, of attack against uh, the misrepresentations of liberty. So we're going to kind of jump ahead here and then we'll go back to verse number two. Let's talk about liberty. Liberty is not. Let's start with that. Liberty is not. Uh, let's, let's, let's keep mixing it up. This is fun here. This is like being with the grandkids during the holidays, right? You like to color with the grandkids? Do you? I don't. All right. Ah, for a couple of reasons. One is they color better than me. I cannot stay in the lines, whether it's coloring or living. Okay. Uh, liberty... Uh, liberty is not, okay? What is liberty not? Look at uh, verse number 13, if you would, in this chapter. We'll jump down there. Huh, he says, for you were called to freedom. There's our liberty, brothers. That includes all of us. That means you sisters as well. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So liberty is not a license to what? That's right. Liberty is not a license to sin. Okay, so when uh, uh, someone maybe accuses you on your interpretation or your, the clear and obvious interpretation of Galatians chapter 4, and it says very clearly, you are not under the law, and they say, oh, you're one of those antinomians. Uh, and you say, no, my liberty is not a license to sin. It continues there in verse 13. It says, but through love serve one another. So liberty is not without love. Boy, you hear about love a lot around here, and you should hear about love a lot around here, because the New Covenant has a lot to say about brotherly love. And that love of God, Romans chapter 5, if you're a Christian, has been shed abroad in our hearts. And uh, we, Paul even says that he, his life is constrained by the love of God. Okay, so liberty is not a license to sin, and it's not without love. And then in verse number 14, if you'd look at that, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that's obligatory. That means you're obligated to do it. That was like when you were a kid and mama or daddy said, do this. You had to do it. So then liberty is also not freedom from 
all law. Okay? So that's what freedom, freedom what, it, what is freedom? Well, we're looking at the negative here. Freedom or liberty is not. So you hear it oftentimes in our uh, discussions today. Well, I have liberty. You can't tell me not to go get drunk. You can't tell me I have to get married. You can't tell me. And of course, those people who are saying those types of things are in fact antinomian. All right? Because freedom is not a license to sin. It is not without love. It is not freedom from all law. So the antinomian, the true antinomian, what they have is what we would call a truncated gospel, a shortened gospel. They don't have a full gospel picture. The believer is, in fact, free from the law of Moses. And we are, in fact, guiltless because Jesus paid for our sin debt in full. However, we were also, according to Galatians chapter 4, we have been adopted. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We have been adopted into the family of God. And as sons of God, whatever we do, we are to do all to the glory of God. And going and doing those things that a true antinomian would say they have the liberty to do would in no way, shape, form, or fashion bring glory to God. If you understand that, say amen. 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 And we'll get much deeper into that because the Apostle Paul gets much deeper into that, into these this practical portion here in chapters 5 and in chapter 6. All right, any questions about this before we move on? Wanted to lay that foundation so that it's understood? Okay, because I will be erasing it because i got a whole lot more work to do. And I see a camera or two if you want to take a picture of it. I'll walk this way so you can notice I trimmed my beard nicely this week. Those of you who got your pictures taken, that's fine. Take pictures of me as well. All right, got it? All right, goody gum drops. Now, verse number two. Now we're going to move into this portion, verses two through six, which I've entitled Foolishness of Circumcision. Verse number two, we'll read the whole portion here. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. There's the word love again, and you'll see it uh, all through uh, this chapter. Now, verse number two, let's look at it a little more deeply, if we might. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. So it should be pointed out that there is no spiritual bonus in either direction. Circumcision, no circumcision. He's saying that, look, it's, 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 a, it's a non-plus in either direction. And of course, you almost feel, I almost feel foolish saying it, but I've pastored long enough to, to have to say this. This has nothing to do with medical or health issues either way. All right. Uh, those are totally separate from the conversation. Verse number three. 
I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now, the word keep there, we're going to come back to it later because it's important to understand. It is the Greek word poieo and is translated more often as the word do. So think about it this way. I testify again, reading verse three, to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to do the whole law. Remember that later if you would, and you'll see it again in verse number 10. As I said, we'll come back to it. But Paul is clear here, thinking that keeping one part of the law will help you with your standing with God binds us to perform every single part of the law, right? And this is nothing new. We've said this over and over again because Paul has said it over and over again. Repetition is the key to learning, right? So we have to hear it over and over again. And those of you who are looking at the floor right now but really want to be looking at me, um, we know that we're going to go read the book of Romans and we're going to hear that again, aren't we? Because Paul knew the Romans need to hear it over and over again. And those of you who are going to go read the book of Colossians, he knew they needed to hear it over and over again. All right, look at verse number four. You are severed from Christ. That's pretty intense, isn't it? But by the way, it's going to get even more intense here in a couple moments. You are severed from Christ. Who? You who would be justified by the law. Here it comes. You have fallen from grace. Now think about that. You've been taught your whole life you can't fall from grace. So he's saying here, though, to walk away from Christ and embrace the law as though it would give you some advantage with God. Number uh, At least one of you talked about it this morning in share time. To walk away from Christ thinking that the law will advantage your position with God is to fall from grace. And there's no two ways about it, he says. See, the, the Greek word there for severed is kartageo. All right? So he uses the word, or the word is translated for us here as the word severed. In Romans 7, 6, it's translated into the word released. So the same word, uh, severed or released. Now, let me, let me read Romans 7, 6. Same word, kartageo. Let me read Romans 7, 6 to you. But now we are released, kartageo, from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that now we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What's the written code? The law. So think about this. Paul is saying in Romans 6 that believers are cartageo, severed or released from the law. Here in Galatians, he's saying to adhere to the law, you're severed or released from whom? From Christ, right? Or fallen from grace. So think about this. Those who have died to the law have been severed or released from that law. 
those who seek to be justified by the law have been severed or released from Christ. So you can't have both. You get that? It's like trying to mix oil and water. You can't mix the law and Christ. Do you see now why it's such a big deal? You see now why I get kind of carried away about this issue up here? Do you see now why it disturbs those of us and many of you who understand the importance of the issue, why it is such a big deal? Paul is saying, if you choose the law for any bit of justification in your life, you are being severed, released, cartageo, from Christ. And if you choose Christ, you are being severed, released, cartageo, from the law. Oil and water. It's a T. It's a Y in the road. There is all, and I said oil and water. They cannot be mixed. I think it was you, Ben, this morning talking about wanting to feel worthy and having a time of doubt in your early walk with Christ. There is no mixing. The moment you try to get some self-satisfaction about your standing with God, that's why it all comes crashing down. He deserves all glory and honor and praise, and He alone, ladies and gentlemen. Look at verse 5. Now Paul's going to make a switch here in verse 5. He's going to reintroduce that contrast. In verse 2, he says, you. Verse 4, he says, you. In verse 5, he's going to say, we. Remember in chapters 3 and 4, he had that contrast. He's going to do it again. Look at verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Okay, he kept saying, you, you're going to the law. You are doing this with the law. You're severed. We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. The apostle doing... Okay, so he's setting himself up as the model. Then notice what he says. Through the Spirit, he's saying, he has faith. For through the Spirit, by faith. There's no other way to have true saving faith, but through the Spirit. That faith, or it's the faith that allows us to look away from ourselves to Christ and eagerly wait. For example, Romans 8.25 says, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now let me lay out Paul's point for you. They, these people he's talking to, are seeking to be righteous in the here and now by keeping the law. But he, and hopefully us, through the indwelling spirit and the gift of faith, are waiting for Christ's return to be completely righteous. You got that? They were looking. You ever ever met anybody that believed in sinless perfection now? That's what he's saying to them. You think that you can have sinless perfection now. 
Because you think that by returning to the law, you can somehow get perfectly right now. So look at verse 5 again. For through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, for time's sake, I didn't do it, but you can find this hope of righteousness five or six times throughout the the letters of Paul. This hope of righteousness. We understand that as Christians, there's a continual battle. And that should be encouraging to you that Paul is saying, that's how we do, that's how we live, those of us who live by faith. We understand that if 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 we grasp or tried to grasp an idea or believed an idea that we could have perfect righteousness right now, it would be in uh, adopting the law of the Old Testament of Moses. But that's not how we live. By faith, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Isn't that good? The fact that you, knowing the fact that you struggle means that you are on the right road. Hallelujah. So our hope is a hope of righteousness in Christ, not in the law. Now verse 6, why I catch my breath. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Boy, he keeps going back to it, doesn't he? You know why? Because we're knuckleheads, that's why. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, this is important because our pendulum swings, right? Okay, no circumcision. I'm going to be right by God by not having circumcision. No, we're not going to discount the Jews who believe in Christ. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Boy, he's getting back to that again. Now, this little phrase here, only faith working through love, is where the well-known quote that's attributed to Luther comes from. I'll give you the quote. I'm sure you've heard it. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. You see, saving faith always goes public and expresses itself in obedience And love is the result. That is the resulting obedience. It has been said that faith is the root and love is the fruit. And I just want to take a moment and thank God that I'm a church that has a lot of fruit. Thank you for your love. Here's another quote by Luther that I found interesting. It is not idle, but occupied, speaking of our faith, but occupied and exercised, working through love. Paul, therefore, in this verse, sets forth the whole of a Christian. Namely, that inwardly it consists in faith toward God and outwardly in loving works to our neighbor. Praise the Lord. So let me give you sort of a summary of what we have covered 
spiritually speaking. Spiritually, what we've seen thus far, or the transition, the progress. How about that? The progress we've seen is we've seen spirit, spirit, I knew I could spell it, spirit, then faith, then love. That makes sense, right? Does that make sense to everybody? The Spirit, you've been regenerated. The Holy Spirit gives you faith to to trust Christ. And then the outworking of that is what, church? Love. Love. Okay, let's look at it eschatologically, okay? Eschatology means what? I don't know why I do these words. Eschatologically. I think it's two L's. Yes. Eschatologically. Okay. Things to come is eschatology. Or you say end times. That's good too. Okay. Or maybe we would say redemptive history because we're talking about progress again. Okay. You with me? Okay. So we have law. What law are we talking about as always in Galatians? Law of Moses. Okay. Then we have liberty. Right? Who set us free? Christ set us free. And then now we have love. Does that, does that uh, progress make sense to you? Okay. We didn't get stuck with dead faith. Our dead faith worked itself out in what? In what, church? We want to get the point, right? If it, if, if the, how does Steve say it, Gerald? If the so doesn't have a so what, or how does he say that? That's not how Steve says it, but I'm sure what you got is... Are you asking a question or are you making a comment? That was something that Steve said, but I don't, that's not what you're talking Can you recall it? A faith that doesn't fit, that fizzles before the finish had a flaw from the first. That's pretty good. All right, I appreciate that. Hopefully there won't be a test. <laughs> but I have heard him say that. I've heard him say a lot of other stuff too, by the way, that I won't repeat. Uh, but no, that's good. That's good. But he often says, uh, that's the so, what's the so what? Something like that too. But here it is, okay? All right, so here's, here's, here's Paul. Paul's not a moralist. So here's his doctrine, and here is his practical outworking. All right? Here's doctrine. Here's the practical outworking. So we, 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 we've seen the law of Moses. We've seen the doctrine that we've been set free. But now here's the practical outworking. All right? And he will break these down, this down as well later in the chapter, of course. It's not some Hollywood type of a descriptive love. All righty. Now let's move to the second part. Verses 7 through 12. I call this the foes of our freedom. Verse 7, 7 through 12. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. 
I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Verse 7. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he starts out here as he often does in a number of his epistles. He's using a racing imagery, right? You were running well. Verse 8, the persuasion is not from him who calls you. Who called him? Well, we go back to chapter 1 and verses 16, I'm sorry, 6 and 15. Paul made it clear that the one who called them from the beginning, even before birth, was the father. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. In other words, small matters left unattended become big matters. Thank you, sir. Now verse 10, important principle here to understand. Verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. Isn't that interesting? He's popping them, right? This is his rhetoric, right? He's popping them. But then he says, I have confidence in you that you will take no other view. The one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So notice his conviction here. And this is normally the way you see New Testament warnings. The warnings are something we must heed. Yet at the same time, the author is certain that the elect of God will always heed them. You'll see many warnings in the book of uh, Hebrews. Peter has some warnings in his epistles. And that's the way they're laid out, right? You have the means and the end. The means are to give warnings. That's what teaching is all about. That's what our interactions are about. God uses us as means in each other's lives, and the elect will always heed the warnings. Verse number 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision... Okay, so we don't, we don't really... This kind of comes, looks like it comes out of left field. But clearly, someone is accusing Paul of hypocrisy here. That he is, in fact, in some way teaching the law, which would include circumcision. But brothers, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So again, it appears Paul is being accused of hypocrisy as though he was preaching circumcision. So he makes the point that if it were true... Why would he be being persecuted? Why would someone persecute him if he's preaching circumcision? If that's true, the case of the cross or the offense, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. By this, he means this. If you give sinners back their pride by giving them a, any part in their salvation, there is no offense in the gospel message. The true gospel is that even a sinner's best works are stained with evil and cannot make them right with God. Do we all have that? If you give a sinner any any opening, that any part... You remember that conversation, Michael, you and I had on a Taco Tuesday? won't go into it. But you remember, I just kept trying to close the door. We were discussing things. You just can't have anything. You can't have any slither that there's any part in the gospel that is yours to own. Not, and we were, we were even talking about election. No, you can't go back to the, any, any part of it. You didn't even open the door to this thing. It is all God, 100%. And if I was bad at math, I'd say 110%. Amen. 
Look at verse 12. Uh, and this, here it comes. Here, here's the, here, the, Richard Longnecker calls this, this, this verse 12 the crudest and rudest of all Paul's extant statements. That means uh, surviving statements, okay? I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul is wishing these false teachers would go beyond circumcision and would actually castrate themselves. Some suggest he has Deuteronomy 23.1 in mind. In other words, you guys think this is a great idea? Let me read Deuteronomy 23.1. No one, who ha- no one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Paul has no time at all for those who wish to take believers down a, a, a trail of error away from the grace of God Almighty. So you can see his thoughts about false teachers, can't you? All righty. Now to our last section where a lot of this begins to draw together. So the last section here is just the last three verses, 13, 14, and 15. It's our framework of service. So I hope you'll be able to stay with me on this, because I think this will open up for you in particular. Let me say this right up front. Romans 7 and 8, I think, are some very confusing chapters for people. But if you will grasp... Verses 13, 14, and 15, you will then begin to grasp, mo better, Romans 7, the latter half of Romans 7, and then into Romans chapter 8. He says here, Galatians 5, 13, For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Gordon Fee says this, To be lawless does not mean to be lawless. So we'll put that on the board the way he writes it, hoping that it will make a little better sense to be, he says, lawless. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Uh, does not mean to be lawless. You understand the point? Yeah. Got it? Yeah. To be lawless does not mean to be lawless. Alrighty. Remember, we are free from the law because we are servants of the Lord through the Spirit. Okay? In other words, freedom does not mean autonomy. What's autonomy? It means sovereignty. What's sovereignty? It means self-determination. Okay? God's in charge of our lives. Can I get an amen? amen. Alright, glad that... All eight of you agree with me on that. We, we can't quote Romans 8, all things work together for good, if we don't believe that He is the sovereign one. Now, as we've said often, there are types in the Old Testament. okay, And the type of our service to the Lord, in that we are redeemed from the Lord, is found in Exodus chapter 4. Verses 22 and 23, let me read. Moses, or God says this to Moses. Remember, he's uh, going to Pharaoh and he wants to get the people free. 
God says this to Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and you shall say, I say, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. Right? Children of Israel weren't trying to get away from Egypt just to run around out, outside of Egypt somewhere. Now, when you see this word servant in the New Testament that we've, we've read here, and you'll see many times in the book of Romans and other places as well, it literally means this, to be a slave to. A number of theologians have suggested that in the modern translations, because of the history of slavery in the uh, West, that many of the modern translators have refused to just simply use the word slave and opt for the word servant because of that. But it literally means to be a slave too. Let me read for you Paul's declaration in 1 Corinthians 9.19. You might recognize it. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Again, it literally means to be a slave to. So let's reread it. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to or a slave to all. Think about this. Paul imposed these restrictions on himself as one led by the Spirit, not under the law. So what does it mean to be free? What does it mean to be free in Christ? What it means is then that I, uh, as one who is under the, uh, uh, led by the Spirit, not under the law, I impose upon myself to be your slave. That's what it means. What it means is, is that when we talk about loving one another, we are to love one another unto death. Is that a popular idea amongst us? And there was silence in heaven. It's not a popular idea out there. Out there, we're fighting for our rights. Or I say we, our culture is fighting for their rights. But that's the biblical idea. Calvin wrote this about Christian liberty. Liberty. There's a great difference between Christian liberty and the use of Christian liberty. Christian liberty is an internal thing and belongs to the mind and conscience and has direct reference to God. The use of Christian liberty is an internal thing. It belongs to the conduct and has reference to man. So he's, he's contrasting Christian liberty and the use of Christian liberty. Okay? No consideration should prevail on us for a moment to give up Christian liberty. But many a consideration should induce us to forego the practical assertion or display of our liberty. He's saying in your mind, between you and God, you are free and you should never give that up. You have freedom of conscience. You believe what you believe because the Spirit of God is working in your heart and mind through the Scriptures. Period. In the conversation. But on a practical sense, if this man is offended by your meat, you should give up that meat just like that. Does that make sense? 
Who does not understand that? I like the way my buddy Randy Seaver puts it. If you're not reading any of Randy Seaver's books, my, oh my, he's a great, but you have Christian liberty. (laughs) He put it this way, not only has Christ delivered us from dreadful service, he has also delivered us for delightful service. Isn't that good? I'll repeat it. Not only has Christ delivered us from dreadful service, he has also delivered us for delightful service. And let's remember this. Listen to me, please. Go like this. I'll help your eyes stay open a little bit. Galatians 2.20. Look, Jesus is our model. He's our great example. Listen to what Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. Listen. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, if the eternal God would decide, you talked about Philippians this morning, humbled himself, became a servant, even unto death. If he would willingly impose those restrictions of becoming a human, if he would impose those restrictions upon himself, what is it I should not do for you, my brothers and sisters? Is it an amen or an oh me? Right? So this is what the Apostle's talking about. We erased it, but that's what he means when he speaks of love. It is not selfishness. That is going back to the old world, the old principles, the elemental principles. He's talking about selflessness. And we'd like to talk about that when it comes to drinking and chewing and hanging around those who are a-doing. But it's easy to do that in a religious environment just as well. Look at verse 14. Now we're going to get to something here in verse 14 that I promise you, if you care about Scripture, this is going to be extremely helpful. Look what he says in verse 14. For the whole law is... What's that next word? Fulfilled. It's an important word there, okay? For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you're just kind of skimming, that's a curveball. He has just spent how many chapters saying you're not under the law? Don't worry about doing the law. You got it, man. You're settled. The Spirit of God has moved inside of you. Now he just said you're going to fulfill the whole law. But what you have to understand, and we mentioned it earlier, that this word poieo, when he said keep the law, is the same as do. Right? So we have fulfill versus do. Okay? Paul makes a very important distinction all throughout his epistles. For those under the law, are we under the law, yes or no? No. No. For those under the law, he stresses the fact that you must do, poieo, and he uses also the word we saw earlier, or it's translated, it's the same word, we read the word keep. For Christian behavior in respect to the law, he uses the word fulfill. You got that? Now let's look at a few verses. Let me give them to you. 
do the law. Romans 10.5, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That person who does the commandments shall live by them. Earlier we read Galatians 3.10, earlier as in weeks ago. For all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Verse 12 of chapter 3. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Same word, poieo. Chapter 5, verse 3, we read, this is the keep. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So notice the emphasis of those who are under the law, looking to get an advantage with God, looking to be justified, sanctified by the law. He says, you have to do it. You have to keep it. However, when it comes to believers like you and me, he says, you have what? Fulfilled. Romans 8, 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be... Do you remember Romans 8, 4? Fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Romans 13, 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor... Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And here we are in verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I promised you earlier that this, these two verses here open up for you. It's the same principle. It's the same thinking in Romans 7 and Romans chapter 8. This is why I get burdened when I talk to someone who says, I, I, I'm living out Romans chapter 7. I, I feel it in my bones. I'm, I'm doing that which I don't want to do and I'm, and I'm not doing that which I don't want to do. That's because you're living over here. Romans 7, that's what it's talking about. Paul is saying the man who is trapped in the law, he can't do what he wants to do. You and I aren't supposed to be trying to do anyway. We're supposed to be living in Romans chapter 8 where the Spirit is in us and by love we fulfill the law. That's why he says at the end of Romans chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am! What will deliver me from this body? And then it goes into Romans chapter 8 and says, Because I'm in the Spirit and the Spirit is in me! That's what delivers me. So if you are feeling an affinity, not an affinity, if you're feeling... um, akin to the man in Romans chapter 7, move on to perfection in Romans chapter 8 and realize you're not called to do not steal, do not murder, do not, don't do any of that, but you don't do it by not doing it. You do it by loving your neighbor. No man that loved his neighbor ever murdered him. No man that ever loved his neighbor coveted after his wife. And by the power of the Spirit, we move on. Listen to Romans seven nineteen, And then think of what we've just been talking about in Galatians, doing versus fulfilling. Listen to it. 
I do not do the good I want. Why do you want to do good? That's not the goal. That's right. I do not do the good I want. But the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Poyeo is the word there. Do, 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 do. Wet paint, don't touch. Is it really wet? Is it really wet? Is it really wet? But what if I'm driven by something greater than me? I don't even have time to go read the sign that says wet paint don't touch, do I? No. Because I have a great purpose in life to serve the one who loved me and now I love. What sign? What do not touch? What wet paint? It is important, by the way, let's move just a step further, that this idea of fulfilling the law is descriptive, not prescriptive. This is not another do. Your goal is to not to, okay, now i got to fulfill the law. This is descriptive. Let me illustrate in case that throws you. Prescriptive. That's a three-syllable word. For those of you who went to the public school. Which includes me. Saved people get baptized. Did I just tell you how to get saved? That was not prescriptive, was it? Did I describe what saved people do? So that statement was descriptive of saved people. It was not prescriptive of how to become a saved person. This is descriptive. Paul is saying this is prescriptive of people who are in Christ. Thank you. That was a test (laughs) for me, apparently, and I failed it. In other words, let me quote another, have give you another quote, because I know you love them so much. And you notice I've given you a couple quotes by Gordon Fee. That's because that's the book that Steve's going through. So see, you got it. Gordon Fee writes this. The aim of Torah, which Torah was helpless to bring off, has always been a loving community in which God's own character and purposes are fulfilled as God's people love one another the way He loves them. That's always been the aim. But Torah couldn't pull it off, he says. Couldn't make it happen. That's always been the purpose of the law. But but the law couldn't make it happen. The Spirit, he says, has uh, replaced Torah by fulfilling the aim of Torah. Fulfilling the aim of Torah. So think about that when you read statements like Matthew 5.17, Brother Robert Thomason. Did I get that part right? I don't know. 517, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill them. Think about how Jesus says we're to treat our enemies. What does he say? 
love them. Ironically, those that listen to this, I love this statement. And you can put me down as the one that you're quoting. Ironically, those that live under the law can't do it and die. While those that die to the law fulfill it and live. Isn't that amazing? So when you find someone who's a law lover, you, 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 you know, you don't try to be mean, but you're saying Isn't that amazing. I am fulfilling the law and you're not. Those that live under the law can't do it and die, while those that die to the law fulfill it and live. Last verse, verse 15. I hear your stomach's growling. And this is a great verse for that. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So this is a neat little verse because... Uh, you know, contemporarily, because we talk about the one another's in Scripture here. Love one another, serve one another, live in harmony with one another. But look at these two one another's. These are not ones we want to practice, right? Bite and devour one another? Be consumed by one another? Well, how is this possible to do that? Well, we've, we've seen how it's possible, right? If we use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, if we see the gospel as an excuse for antinomianism, for selfish living, for treating people as objects rather than fellow image bearers of God? And then a quick little application. Is this not what we're seeing in our society at large? Yeah. The remnants of a biblical society have almost completely fallen away, have they not? Now next week we'll see Paul's teaching on walking in the Spirit and gratifying the desires of the flesh. And so he'll take all all of this will lead into how that works practically. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.